I'm super excited to share with y'all today because about a month ago, I set off back to America because, hence the accent, I'm from Oklahoma, y'all. Um, and I needed to go home to visit some family because they've had a pretty rough year. And so I went home for two weeks and I got back two weeks ago. And I'm so excited to preach today because I've got a story to tell y'all about something that happened three weeks ago in Oklahoma. You see, my family loves to kayak. Uh, and this all started when I actually was in high school, early years of high school, and I asked my dad for a kayak because we live by a bayou. Now you might be thinking, girl, what's a bayou? Bayou is like a creek or a river. So just a body of water. There you go. Yeah, that's what we live by. We live by the Menard Bayou. That sounds so country, y'all. I am very country. And so I asked for a kayak, and I was so excited when I came down on Christmas morning, and there were two bright blue kayaks leaning up against the wall next to the Christmas tree because my dad was like, well, I've got to have a kayak as well. We're both going. And so those two have now grown to six because my dad fell in love with this new hobby of his. And so he was getting hip surgery while I was back home, which meant that he wasn't going to be able to kayak for a while. So he wanted to go on one last trip before the surgery took place. And so my family and a few close family friends set out on this kayaking journey down the Illinois River. Now, do we have that photo of the kayak? So this is the Illinois River. This is Oklahoma, y'all. Ain't she pretty? <laughs> but we set out on this river on an eight-mile journey. Now, going at an easy pace while stopping for lunch and stopping to swim or jump off cliffs or swing off rope swings, it takes us about, you know, four hours or so. And so we set off on this journey, the 12 of us. And about 20 minutes into the journey, my younger brother, Mark, who is 22 years old, started going at a faster pace than the rest of the group. You see, he was going so fast that the 11 of us couldn't keep up with him. So fast to the point that he could no longer hear us when we yelled out his name to tell him to slow down. But we assumed, you know what? He's a trained lifeguard. He's been on this river many times. Eventually, he'll realize that nobody's behind him and he'll pull over and stop and wait for us. He'll be all right. Well, every bend of the river we went around, we looked for Mark. He wasn't there. When we stopped for lunch, he wasn't there. It didn't matter how far we went, we couldn't find Mark and his bright green kayak. And so for the next three hours, the 11 of us continued on our journey, hoping that he was just waiting for us at the end. But here's the thing. The end where we were getting off is not so obvious because you can get off the river at several stopping points. And we didn't know if he actually knew where to stop. And so we finally get to the end, the end that we called the old bridge, and we pull off and he's not there. And so my sister starts walking up and down the bank looking for him to see any sign of him, and she couldn't find him anywhere. We started with 12. Four hours later, we finished with 11, and someone was missing. Nightfall was coming, and the entire mood of the trip shifted when we realized that we needed to find him before it went dark. This message I have for y'all is called Search and Rescue. You can write that down. You know, in Luke chapter 15, there's three incredible parables that I want to share with you all today, all of which are telling the, a similar story of something or someone that is lost. And it starts with the parable of the lost sheep. So go with me to Luke chapter 15. You can read it on the screen as well. It starts out like this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I love that they call them notorious sinners. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with 
with such sinful people, even eating with them. Oh my goodness, y'all. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, the whole reason that Jesus starts to tell these stories, parables are basically stories that we can relate to and understand in some way, and they all have a moral principle. The reason he starts this is because these religious people are complaining and making comments that there's notorious sinners present. Like, oh my gosh, the tax collector's here? Ew. How can he be here? How can you go eat dinner with him? They're freaking out because of who Jesus is associating with. And so as Jesus does, he starts into story time to teach them a lesson before he hits it home with the truth. See, one sheep out of a hundred was missing. And he challenges them by saying, now don't you think that the shepherd would notice that one sheep was missing? Don't you think that the shepherd would notice that his herd was a little bit smaller than usual? Now, don't you think the shepherd would also know his hundred sheep and would know exactly which one was missing? And then he would set out to look for the one that is lost. See, a lot of people get comfortable with the 99. They think, you know what? It's all good. Like the 99 are awesome. The 99, like, this this is all good. This is comfortable. It's just one that went missing. Celebrate the 99 that are still here. Like, yes, we celebrate with the 99 that are still there. But do you think it would have been right for me to say when we got to the end of our kayaking trip, well, my mom's still here. My, My sister made it. Let's just go home with the 11. That's essentially the same thing. Sometimes, as a church, we become so comfortable with who's in the room that it's easy for us to say, well, but look who's here. Let's just celebrate with who we've still got. We don't need any more people. I like my small group just the way it is. It's cozy. We're good with who's in the room. Y'all, we can never forget about the ones that are missing. Can I tell you something incredible? You see, on this kayaking trip, When there were just 11 of us, there were incredible things happening. There was. See, in fact, um, there's an auntie figure for me back home in my parents' church. Her name's Sharon. And she pulled her kayak up to me at one point in the trip, and she goes, Darcy, I had this dream last night that you baptized me in this river. I said, really? She goes, yeah. I... I've been following your church planning journey, and I saw that baptism video that y'all had posted about the seven people that got baptized in the cafe, and then I had this dream last night that you baptized me in the river, and I realized that I was baptized as a baby, but I don't remember that, and that wasn't my decision. It was my parents' decision, so could you baptize me today? And I said, yes. And so when we pulled off for lunch, I walked Sharon out into the river, and I've got this photo for y'all. Do you have that photo of um, Sharon and I? So this is Sharon, and we walked out into the middle of the river, and I baptized her. I explained the meaning of baptism to the 11 of us that were standing there, and we celebrated. But, y'all, I never forgot about the one who wasn't there. 
I never forgot that Mark was missing from this picture, but we celebrated what was happening. And this was huge breakthrough for Sharon. This was incredible breakthrough. And for the other, uh, how many, nine of them to witness what was happening right here. This was, I had to do a quick tally in my head. How many have we got? Um, but this was incredible breakthrough. In fact, what happened here inspired her 18-year-old niece so much that her 18-year-old niece drove home from her university two hours drive home that Friday so that I could baptize her in their backyard pool. There were amazing things happening with the 11, and I'm telling you this because there's incredible breakthrough that happens in the room, but we can never forget who's not yet in the room. We celebrate what God is doing here, but we can never forget about the one who isn't. We will celebrate every single breakthrough that happens for every single person in this room that is present. But y'all, we will never forget that we're not done yet. We will never forget that there's more people to add to this herd. Y'all, my brother was a missing person and you need to know something about someone who is lost. And now when I say lost throughout the context of this message, I want you to know that I mean someone who is separated from God. You see, every missing person is known by name. Every missing person is known by name. You might not know their name, but the shepherd does. You see, Jesus is the great shepherd, and he knows every single individual by name, and he knows who isn't currently with the flock. Now, you might be thinking, well, Darcy, you got to finish your story. What happened to your brother? Okay, I'll tell you. So we pull off at the end. And my dad and my sister's husband hop back into their kayaks, and they keep going down the river to look for him. And then my mom's sister and two family friends hop into the truck we parked at the finish line, and they said, we'll drive to the next stop and see if he's there. And then there were five of us left to pull all the kayaks in. And so we wait. Ten minutes goes by. Twenty minutes goes by. Forty minutes goes by. We haven't heard anything from our family members. And so I say to Sharon, do you have your phone? Can you call my mom and get an update? So she calls her, and she finds out that they drove to the next stop. He wasn't there. They drove further to the next stop. He wasn't there. And so they drove to the River Patrol office to report him as a missing person. And they called us, and they said, do you know what he was wearing? And for some reason, I knew exactly what he was wearing. A white tank top, red lifeguard shorts, a ball cap, and a bright green kayak. I knew exactly what he was wearing. And so they send out the River Search and Rescue team to go look for him. You see, nobody could find him. And we knew that we had just a few hours before it gets dark. Now, the photo I showed you earlier of the Illinois River, it looks pretty easy breezy, right? It does. You're like, that's calm. How could that pose any danger to anyone? He's a trained lifeguard. Well, let me tell you, there are hidden log jams and unexpected currents underneath the still water. There's, there's hidden log jams and trees that have fallen over into the river that can cause you to spin in certain directions, and you have to navigate them carefully, otherwise you could capsize. In fact, my little sister did capsize because she hit something that was unexpected, and we had to get her out of the water and flip her kayak back over. And... This summer alone, remember opposite seasons, our winter, their summer, this summer alone, they had already lost three people in the river. Three people this summer had drowned in that river that we were currently in. So this was serious. Nobody could find him, and it didn't matter if he was a trained lifeguard. If you hit something that's unexpected in life, it can completely capsize you. And so we knew that we had only a few hours to find this boy. 
And so this river patrol truck drives up to us and he sees our bright green kayak, our second one that's lying there. And he says, do you know who was in that kayak? And we said, we know you're looking for Mark. That's not his. And he said something I'll never forget in his Southern Oakey accent. He said, we can't lose another one. We can't lose another one. If we don't find him soon, we're going to send out the airboat because we have to find him before it gets dark. You see, once it gets dark, it's a lot harder to find somebody on that river. But Jesus isn't finished with his stories yet. So let's go back to Jesus for a second. See, after Jesus tells that first parable, he starts to tell this other parable. He starts to tell this other story about a woman who had 10 silver coins and she's lost one. And this coin, let me tell you, it's not just your simple $2 coin. But this coin that she has lost is worth a day's wages. So think about how much money you make in a day. And if you don't have a job right now, think about how much money you want to make in a day. Picture that in one coin, and she's lost that somewhere in her house. And so it says in verse 8 and 9, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. See, now it's not one out of 100, it's one out of 10, and she lights a lamp and sweeps the entire house until she finds it. Why? Because she recognizes that this missing coin has value. It is worth something significant. Yes, she still had nine, but she had lost one, which was meant that she lost something valuable to her. You need to know that every missing person has significant value. Every missing person has significant value. Every life has worth. Every life is worth redeeming and rescuing. Now, do you realize that the coin that she had was only given that amount of value because of the Roman authority that was stamped onto it? This coin, we only know that it's worth $2 because of the New Zealand authority that's stamped onto it. That's what makes it have value. Every lost soul represents somebody who has been stamped with the image of God. See, we are all image bearers of the creator, which means that even when somebody is lost, they are still recognized by God as a child of God. They are someone of value that is worth rescuing and redeeming. You see, it didn't matter how dirty that coin was when she found it because she had a dirt floor back in that day, and so it was going to be dirty. It didn't matter how long it had been lost. It didn't matter how many hands it had passed through. It didn't matter how the used, how used it had been by the world. What mattered was that it still had the same value as it did on the day it was created. Every life has the same value it did on the day it was created, despite the dirt and the mess that that life has been through. Every person that's not yet in the room has significant value. We can never become so comfortable with the nine that we forget about the one. So my brother, back to him real quick. So now there's rescue helicopters up in the air looking for him. Y'all, I can't make this stuff up. This legit happened three weeks ago. There are rescue helicopters up in the air looking for him and his green kayak because he is a person of significant value. And everybody was going to search that river until we found him. But y'all, Jesus isn't done with his stories yet. He's still got one more. So back to Jesus real quick. You see, he goes into this third story the parable of the lost son. And in this story, we read about a father who has two sons. And one son decides that he doesn't want to wait around to receive his inheritance. And so he goes up to his dad and essentially has the guts to say, Father, don't you think it's time to give me your share of the estate 
that it belongs to me, right? This is super offensive, especially in Middle Eastern culture. For a son to ask for his, his inheritance while the dad is still alive. What he's essentially said to his dad is, I wish you were dead so that I could have my half of the estate. But the father gives it to him. The father gives it to him. And this young man takes his half and leaves home. And then he wastes it all on what the Bible says is reckless living. He loses it all. In fact, he finds himself begging a farmer to allow him to work and feed his pigs so that he can make a little bit of extra money. But he is so hungry that he is now down on his knees eating out of the pig trough himself. And he finally comes to this conclusion, my dad's servants are fed better than this. And yet I'm here on my knees next to a pig eating the slop that's in front of me. And so he gets up the courage to stand up, to leave his situation and go home. And he starts to prepare this speech where he can apologize to his dad because he wants to come back, not as a son, but as a servant and say, dad, I've messed up. But the father sees him coming. In verse 20, we can see the father's response. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. In verse 24, it says, he was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Y'all, that's in scripture. The party began. This reckless kid who has seriously offended his father, who walked away from his family, is not scolded. He's not beaten. He's not locked out. Instead, he is embraced and he is welcomed in with love and compassion and they want to throw a feast in his honor. But now the older brother isn't so happy about the situation because the older brother never left. And so now the older brother refuses to come inside and co-host this party with his dad, which also is super offensive in that culture. So now this father's been offended by both sons. But the father recognizes even though his lost son is now back home, now his older son is missing from the party. So he walks outside to find him and he goes and talks to him and says, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. You see, every missing person is worth celebrating when found. Every missing person is worth celebrating when found. Y'all got to realize what God is trying to say through all these stories. There's no person that is too far gone for God to find them. There is no person that is too far deep into their mess and their brokenness for God to rescue and redeem them. God is consistently searching out for his flock. But what happened to my brother? Let's go back to him real quick. So it got to this point where it seemed like nobody could find him. But I knew that God would know where he was. And so I say to the four people that I'm with, I say, y'all, we got to pray. Now let me preface this by saying these four people are Christians, but they're not the pray out loud type of Christians. And I'm about to push them way outside their comfort zone. So I'm with the five of them. I said, I'm going to start to pray and y'all jump in. Not jump in if you want to, but y'all jump in. We're finding my brother. And I literally prayed these words. I said, God, 
in the next few minutes, let one of us find him. If that's my dad out in the kayak, or if that's that rescue helicopter, or one of us, in the next few minutes, let one of us find him safe and unharmed. And then three of the four prayed out loud. Huge breakthrough. Already I'm internally celebrating for what just happened for those three. We still haven't found him yet, but I'm internally celebrating the breakthrough that these people are taking in this journey. And then I kid you not, two minutes later, this motorcyclist drives up out of the bush and towards the road. And I say to my sister, maybe I should go ask him if they've seen him. But by this point, He's already gone, but I see a second motorcyclist coming out, big ginger beard, black bandana on, and I run over to him, and I flag him down, and I say, sorry, but have you seen a young man in a white tank top, red shorts, green kayak? And he goes, yeah, I think so. Why? And I go, well, he's been reported as a missing person, and we're looking everywhere for him. And he goes, oh, well, if you just go down this road 50 yards, swing to your right, and then 15 yards to the left, he's sitting on the rock bank. I go, Chelsea, come on. And we start running down this, and I follow the exact instructions that this motorcyclist gave me. And there is my brother sitting unharmed on the rock bank. He was lost, but praise God, he was found. Keys can join me now. And get this, he didn't understand he was lost. He did not realize how many people were out looking for him, including helicopters. He didn't realize that we were freaking out and hugging him. He was like, what's the big deal? I've just been sitting here waiting for y'all. He didn't realize that he was lost. He thought it was all good. He thought he pulled off at the right stop. He thought it was easy breezy. They'll eventually get here. They're just slow kayakers. He thought it was all good. Can I tell y'all something about lost souls? They don't always realize they're lost. They don't always realize that they're separated from God, their creator. They think that life is all good that this is all that life has to offer and they don't realize that there is abundant life and celebration that awaits them when they're finally found by the Father and welcomed home into his family. Can I tell y'all something beautiful about Luke chapter 15 as we come to a close? The shepherd looking for his lost sheep is metaphorically talking about Jesus, the Son of God, who was sent to this world to seek and save all of humanity. The woman looking for the lost coin can metaphorically be talking about the Holy Spirit that illuminates the darkness, seeking out the image bearers of God, the person of the Trinity that dwells within us because we have been set apart by, set apart from all other created beings by God and for God. The father looking for his son is metaphorically talking about God, the father, the one who embraces us in our mess and our brokenness and prepares a seat for us at the table the one who gives us authority of sonship, the one who welcomes us back into his house despite our mistakes. Luke 15 is a picture of the Trinity and it's a picture of God's heart for lost souls, for all people. See, we come home through the Son, by the Spirit, to the Father. Every missing person is important to God. Every missing person 
is known by name because God is their creator. Every missing person has significant value, so much value that God sent his one and only son to die for them on that cross, to pay the price that they deserve to pay. He would have done it even if it was just one person. Every missing person is worth celebrating when they are finally found. See, the incredible thing about God is that he will never stop searching and he will never stop rescuing and redeeming. And so we shouldn't stop either. We are his search and rescue team. Now you might've been a missing person at one point in your life. I was, I was found at 22. And once you've been found, you have this new responsibility on your life to help find other people. And you know what I love about our church? I love that when we needed to fill this auditorium with chairs, with 250 chairs, now 280, we asked people on our launch team if they wanted to sponsor any chairs. And many people on our launch team did. But what I love the most is when people on our launch team sponsored extra chairs for the members of their family that aren't yet here. For that husband or that daughter or that parent that their praying will eventually come home. They filled this auditorium in expectation that lost people would come home to the Father. And I love that our church has seen people make decisions for Christ, decisions to follow him every single Sunday since we launched. Since the 10th of March, we have seen 141 decisions to follow Christ. That is so good. But y'all, we're not done yet. God is up to something right here in Papakura, New Zealand, and we're not done yet. God's only getting started. We praise what he has done, but we praise what he is yet to do. And we're going to do everything we possibly can as a church to see lost people come home to their father, to see families reunited, to see this church grow, to see this community found by the saving grace of God. And maybe you're currently sitting here and this is the first time that you've actually heard about the Father's heart for you, about the Creator's love for you, about His zealous passion to find you, about His all-redeeming, all-embracing welcome to you. And if nobody's told you yet, let me be the first to say, welcome home. 